Wednesday, June 29th, top of the hour, we have a gentleman's businessman special, as they say, up in the Bronx. Yankees looking to sweep the A's. The Mets looking to salvage a two-game set with the Strohs. It appears as though the Mets might be understanding that there are great teams in this league and their teams sort of riddle, you know, maybe a rung below. And I think that's where they find themselves. Not that anybody here particularly cares, but I figured I'd start the show that way. I am Guy Adami. There is Dan Nathan. This is Market Call. In a few brief minutes, Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting will be joining us this episode of Market Call, brought to you by FactSet Financial Data and Analytics. They're powered by tomorrow. And of course, we're powered, Dan, by open exchange. Benign is what I would call the day, although I'll say this. Some cross currents, Dan, and we're going yeah. to talk about them in the next few minutes. Yeah, we will. I, I, you know, listen, guy, you're never happier than when you're talking about New York sports, not New York Mets. Well, let me be clear. Just, I'm sorry, Dan. I know we're up against the clock. I said 30 minutes, but yeah, you, you know, you say New York sports for you Mets fans out there. It's much different <laughs> playing in New York and playing for the Mets. They are not the same thing. Back yes. to you, please. I think our regular listeners and viewers kind of yeah. were very clear about yes. your thoughts Thank on you. that. Appreciate but that, that is Guy from Morristown who called in to rail against more about the Mets than kind of rah-rah the Yankees here. Yeah, you know, you said benign here. You know, Guy, it's kind of interesting. And I think, you know, let's put this into some context here with the S&P 500. You know, I saw this tweet yesterday, and we've been talking about this too, is this, that the markets had this kind of one step up, kind of two or mm-hmm. three back feel to it. And if you look at this MACD suburban drone at suburban drone, he's basically saying the first half of each month of this year has been a bit of a you know what show here. And if you look at the year to date chart of the S&P 500, the average move from the the first week, the high of each month has been about 10 percent lower. Now, obviously, you know, we're only down 20 percent on the year. So we've had a bunch of counter trend rallies. So it looks like the start of the month have been fairly weak and then the end we've had some kind of you know late month rallies or so i have a year-to-date chart if they pull that up really quickly that kind of demonstrates this but we've been talking about how these kind of rallies have just kind of again they've been lesser and lesser as the yeah. year has been going on what does that say to you guys we're kind of ending the quarter down 20 percent the s&p 500 here two consecutive negative quarters not something that's happened a whole heck of a lot what's your feel for us limping into month and quarter yeah, it's, end right it's, here? it's troubling for sure because one of the premises that I had a few weeks ago on Fed Day, the 14th of June, was that you know we would see now that the Fed is out of the way, that we don't have earnings in a meaningful way for a month at least at that point in the middle of June, that the market should sort of do this levitation act, which we've seen dozens of times before, not only into month end, but quarter end as well. Then subsequently, a holiday shortened week. Those are all things, in my opinion, especially since we were so oversold against a sentiment was so negative that the market should do its thing. The fact that it hasn't, well, it sort of did. We had a bounce obviously yeah. up to 39.45 or so, but this pullback sort of caught me off guard. And the fact that we can't seem to get any traction here into that quarter end, I think is alarming. I think it speaks to the weakness that we both believe has been there for quite some time, but maybe it's worse than we thought. 
Yeah, well, I mean, listen, guy, you know, we had a 3650 low to 3950. You can do the math on that mm -hmm. on the S&P 500. That's a pretty reasonable bounce. You know, the number is getting smaller as the market goes lower. We have a chart going back to the start of 2020. I think you and I have both been in the camp and Carter, I think so too. We're going to get his take in a second here that the S&P before it's all said and done. And, and again, none of us have a crystal ball and know when the market's going to bottom out and how it bottoms out. But we're going to round trip back to that pre-pandemic high of February 2020 was just below 3,400. And then do we overshoot? Sure, we might overshoot. And let, that really depends on, you know, the pace of, of interest rate hikes and the pace that inflation mm -hmm. kind of eases and what that means for S&P earnings. So all of that stuff, we have no idea. But, you know, in my mind, down 30% from the highs, which would bring you back to those pre-pandemic highs, that makes some sense. And, and, and before, and listen, and I'm going to cut you off, but I think I want to make this point because I think it's quasi-interesting if you're right and we do do the round trip, which I happen to agree with you on, by the way. So if we round trip this entire, you know, pre-COVID, during COVID, then post-COVID move, that seemingly, okay, I mean, it makes sense. But think about all the money that was spent in order for us to yeah. get to where we got and where we are now. You know, again, not to rail against the Federal Reserve, but, you know, talking about a now $9 trillion balance sheet was probably half that when this started. And obviously, you know, you sucked a lot of people into this market during that time. So well, it's not nearly as, again, to use the word benign as it would appear. Well, I mean, I'm not going to cut you off. Well, but here's the thing, Guy. Okay, so I'd say if you're only looking at it through the lens of the stock market, mm -hmm. then yes, spending $4 trillion in fiscal and monetary, you know, to do that doesn't make sense. But it really wasn't about the stock market. You know, the monetary thing was about credit markets not seizing up. You know, all the fiscal stimulus, PPP and all that stuff was of keeping people employed. Agreed. We still have unemployment at 3.6%. So in many ways, you know, the stock market is sometimes maybe the wrong lens, I think, to view the success of those sorts of programs. But I get what you are saying. I mean, I get it. If you're just focused on the stock market, it doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense. No, and we're going to go back and a little ping pong match. But I think yeah. to your point about the credit markets, I agree. I mean, you didn't want them to seize up. But when it was clear that that wound had been healed in terms of credit, you know, there was an opportunity to extract themselves from that equation. Anyway, my point is this, you yeah. know, again, you're right. I mean, you can't do the counterfactual, so I won't try. But the credit markets did heal pretty quickly. And the fact that they stayed around as long as they did, I think it allowed a lot of largesse, a lot of complacency to filter back into the market. And I think we're paying for it exponentially on the back end. Anyway, that's not what we're here to do. No, we're but, here to pontificate. Hey, listen, but this is a really important point, though, that investors who thought the Fed had their back, they were kind of pushed further and further out the risk curve, that's whether right. it be high valuation stocks, SPACs, crypto, that sort of thing. And that is where most of this damage has been done. We're talking about an S&P 500 that's down 20%, a NASDAQ that's down 29% or so, but a lot of individual names where people thought they could add alpha right are down 60 70 80 percent right. so you are a hundred percent right i don't disagree with you on that point at all i just wanted to kind of broaden out the conversation all right let's bring in carter braxton worth i love of, carter of, of worth charting no i mean i just is that just too blunt an instrument that i can just say that i mean is no, it okay no it's great but you do the yeah i i love ya, ya instead of you because if it's you then yeah 
Well, we got you, buddy. All right, listen, talk to us a little bit about this phenomenon. You know, year to date, each month so far, we've had six of them in the year. We've seen on average 10% declines in those first few weeks, and we've had late month rallies. Does that mean anything to you? Are you seeing anything in the charts of the major indices that kind of like make you think there's something suspect going on here? No, I mean, look, sequencing is what it is. Uh, uptrends and downtrends are characterized, punctuated by counter trend moves. We peaked on Jan 4. We've drawn down 30% in the NASDAQ 100, 30% in the Russell, 24 plus or minus in the S&P. And every time you get a little overdone, some people use oscillators to figure that out, whether it's MACD or RSI or Bollinger, you get a counter trend. We've had four distinct drawdowns, four distinct bounces, and we're kind of sitting here in the middle of the tennis court nothing discernible. My bias remains that we've got more to this current bounce that would put it in line with the other three. Yeah. Well, you know, the one point I would just make, and you mentioned sequencing and, and you know, just the, what I think is unique about this is that, you know, you've had these late month rallies and then these early month declines and just look at today, you know, Amanda put together a little bit of a slide, you know, the S&P 500 is down, you know, what, 33 bips or something like that. The NASDAQ is down, you know, I don't know, like 15 basis points here, but look at what's going on. You have Amazon, you have Meta, you have Apple and you have Microsoft mm. all up more than one and a half percent. And then you have, you know, the NASDAQ again down a little bit, but then you have like areas like the semis in tech that are just getting hit here. Talk to me a little bit about that. And then you want to really focus on semis here. Yeah. Remember, there is a difference in principle between the stocks that are in green and the stocks that are in red on that slide, which is to say semis are by definition cyclical. They always have been and they still are. And the stocks on the top are much larger, of course, much bigger moats more yeah. defensive in their own way and are basically also much more enduring growth models. Yeah. Well, Guy, you get my little tinfoil hat question here. Is there some yeah. funny business in Is the month Is there some kind of prop, stuff? Yeah. Propping those names up. Talk well, to me Well, these about are the that. most, as you've mentioned many times, you know, maybe there is some quarter end fugaziness going on, at least for today. You know, the fact that, you know, but for these names, wonder where the market would be. And it's they definitely are an outlier, your F mega complex without question. But, you know, I don't think it can it can't mask some of the problems in the broader market. And I think that's why I think Carter's right to bring up, interestingly enough, the Philadelphia Semiconductor Index. Now, why it's the Philadelphia Semiconductor Index, I have no idea because last I looked, I don't think most people from Philadelphia know what a semiconductor is. Please don't at me on Twitter. I'm not looking for it today. But with that said, bring it to us, CB Dubs, because this is pretty interesting stuff. Yeah, I mean, a very sort of one of the worst performing areas of the market today. And whether it is, what did you say, Fugazi or something else, it's, it is what it is. I've got some relative charts here, and then uh, maybe we'll end with a chart of, of the semi-index itself. This is a ratio. It's just one thing divided by another, and it is, in this case, the semiconductor index out of Philly. It's performance relative to the S&P. And one way to draw the lines is as depicted there, which is we have a, a, an important topping out formation, and now we've made new intermediate lows, breaking below that lower band. Another way to draw the lines would be simply a double top. Let's put those together, and we have clearly the break-in trend, the double top, and to my eye, suggests there's more to come. It's a pretty textbook bullish to bearish reversal. And one thing to keep in mind about semi's relative performance, 
obviously they've been very, very good. If that line is going up, essentially semis are outperforming the S&P, and if the yellow line is going down, they're underperforming. So over the last two plus years before the recent stall, semis have been great outperformers relative to the S&P. But look at a long-term chart, and this is telling. So this is now relative performance going back to before the dot-com peak. And what you see, of course, is that we still have yet to recoup all of the relative losses associated with that sort of spasmodic high of March of 2000, which is quite incredible. And then finally, here's the S and here's the SOX itself, which you can use the SMH, just the minor channel that's, and it's very well precise, that's been in effect since the peak. I think we go to the lower band and the lower band is another, you know, five, six, 7% from here. Can I just jump in real quick? Can that resolve itself with the semis going sideways, but the S&P actually rallying? I guess the answer is yes, but I don't think that's the way you think it will resolve itself. Probably not. That's to some extent, well, it's one way. Any way the ratio goes, right, you can have it happen both ways, or they both can go down, but semis Mm -hmm. go down more. Spasmodic guy, that was a term you probably used to hear at school a lot. Your teachers, it was in the kind of, you know, quarterly reviews, semester reviews that your parents used to hear. You were probably one of those kids like tweaking out in the corner all the time. I just, I love hearing that term spasmodic about like markets and stuff like that. Cause it makes me think of like guys like you were always causing trouble in the, in the classroom. No, I mean, I know this might be hard for any of you to believe you two, Amanda, Brendan, Stu, any Kim, anybody that's listening, anybody that's watching, but I actually was a pretty good student. I would sit in the front and behave myself. So right. that sort of throws some cold water on that thesis. But that's okay. Nah. I mean, listen, that's yeah. okay. Well, let's talk about this, Carter, because I think you have a, you know, you know, the relative is really important. They were clearly, the semis were an outperformer at a time, you know, where there seemed to be some weird supply demand dynamics, right? In the semi space, you also saw lots of chips being used in greater applications across industrials and, and all sorts of consumer electronics. And that seemed to have peaked. And I think it's really interesting at, you know, last year at the kind of height of the, the expectation of reopening trade. And what's really interesting, you know, we've talked a lot about retail over the last month or so and, and their issues with inventories right now. I think the worry here in the semi space is that there was a lot of double ordering and that we're going to see a very similar inventory build. And if you have a cyclical commoditized business like this and you build inventories, that's really bad for margins and pricing, that sort of thing. So to me, that seems to be the fundamental worry. You know, real quickly, Guy, Micron reports after the close tonight about a $5 implied move yep. in either direction. Carter, you're not going to find this chart particularly interesting, the lines that I drew. It is a good-looking fact set chart here. But talk to me. There's an epic double top there, Guy, down about 40% from those levels. We know the valuation is always really cheap. Again, this is one I think is really important. We previewed Nike's earnings the other day. And again, I don't think we're in a market where anybody needs to be that much of a hero. I'm more interested in hearing about the current trends and what sort of, I guess, command that managements have about visibility of their businesses. And I think you can wait rather than getting in yeah, front of things Yeah, I agree with right that. Now. You know, it's interesting. Micron, a few years ago, they announced a huge stock buyback. And I actually said on the show, correctly for a period of time, but subsequently incorrectly, that to me, that signaled that the management at least thought this was no longer a cyclical business. And, you know, something had changed. And it felt like we sort of caught that correctly. But as Carter pointed out earlier in this show, I mean, these by nature are cyclical companies, and I think we've fallen back into that trap. And to a certain extent, they can become commoditized as well. I think to your point about the potential for there being double ordering here. So, 
Comes down to pricing with Micron. DRAM, obviously, the big component of that. NAND, the other one. We'll see. I mean, if you wanted to play this for whatever reason, I think you're playing for a bear market bounce. But I think your point earlier that, you know, you just wait and see, I think that's probably a better approach because as Carter will tell you, it might not be 2-7 offsuit, Carter, but it's a pair of twos at best. It is. And two things. The line, if we move that line up to 65, those tops, and it broke, right? It didn't hold support. Now it's at yet new support. The one thing about that is you just keep moving the line down. It's under pressure. It's just a pair of twos. Yeah, that, no, listen, that's a great point. That's why we always start these segments with Carter with my dumb charts so he can actually make us all think a little smarter about these things. All right, here's another dumb chart. Before we let you go, Carter, because you brought some smart charts behind it, you got to talk to me about Tesla here because this one, and again, I think Guy has said this on numerous occasions and I just agree with him, until this thing really breaks. Okay, now it is down 46% from its all-time high last year. But when you think about, the, you know, just the devastation in other areas, areas, you know, in related names or whatever. The thing is actually held up decently. Look at my chart. That line, again, is fairly arbitrary. It's from that breakout level, late 2020 here. And, you know, there was a kind of support levels here. If we were to get through that, I mean, what, what, what's your take on Tesla? Because guys, guys' point is, is until this thing is at least down 50%, guy, there's no way to call the all clear on what's going on in the markets yet. I agree with that. I'll let Carter talk real quick. But, you know, again, going back to their last quarter, again, the stock closed around 1,000. I said on the show, this is the quarter you've been waiting for for three years. If you're bullish, traded up to 1080. You made the point on the show that it probably doesn't get much better than this. People added you on Twitter. And then we stock proceeded to sell off almost 50%, actually a little more than 50% in retrospect. Here we are below 700 again, the recent low 603. And nothing about this gives me any encouragement or any confidence that it's going to bounce. I mean, I think you're going to, t- you're going to take another look at that 600 level and see what happens when we get there. It's got nothing to do with what I think about Tesla long-term, but this stock has really proven itself to be a bit of a, I don't know, I don't even know what word I'm looking for since earnings. I mean, it was, it was not what it was cracked up to be. And I think the market's starting to figure that out. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, this is not for the faint of heart, right? I mean, <laughs> one of the greatest winners and now of course, a stock that's down 50% from its peak, and that's meaningless. It can be 52, or how about 62, or it can be Peloton, meaning I'm not going to do that. But the point is, yes, they have something that's new and different. Peloton didn't. My grandmother had an exercise bike, and that's all the Peloton has. <laughs> Carter, let me ask you a quick question. Was that when she was on or off the Mayflower? <laughs> exactly. You must remember this way. You tighten it up, and then it's like, oh, it's getting harder, and then you loosen the knob. And I mean, so they invented a new exercise bike that shows why the stock's back to. But anyway, on to Tesla. Clearly a more important than an exercise bike. The risk here is that it, it just has an important go to the downside. One more go, perhaps, or that you flush out some of the still big time believers. And it simply was it valuation or that there are new competitors coming or is it just the chart? Let's look at some charts. And I think one thing we know is that when you break hard and then you have a tight consolidation like this, quite often you get resolved in the direction of the preceding move. Mm-hmm. So sharp down, you back and fill, there's a debate. My gosh, Tesla cheap, look, it's down this much. And then often it's a so-called second shoot a drop. And so I think that's what's at risk here. There is a trend line that's clear, and we're hovering on that trend line. If we put that sort of diamond formation back, the risk is that we undercut trend and that we have a measured yeah. move that takes you down into the 
into the 500s. Well, it's, it's interesting. The measured move is important. And, you know, I would say that if they were to kind of miss this quarter and let's say guide down or there's some other funny business, I mean, I think this thing goes back to 400 where it was trading in November of 2020 when the company with the announcement that it was added to the S&P 500. Remember, it had that parabolic move from 400 to 800, literally doubled in a matter of months. The other thing I'll just tell you, you know, guy, Elon Musk has had a pretty bad month. He started the month out early June saying that he had a really horrible feeling or a bad feeling about the U.S. economy, mm -hmm. thought a recession was likely to come. Then he's a couple weeks later, you know, sent an email out to employees about how the quarter is not going particularly well and they need to rally a little bit here, you know, and then there's a bunch of funny business in between there. And he hasn't tweeted in seven days. This is a guy who was tweeting at all hours of the day and night about all things, whether it be SpaceX or you know, Tesla or about politics or about stupid memes or whatever. So something funny could be going on here, man. And I, and I don't mean to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but this is not great price action for a guy who's put himself out there so much to disappear in eight days, you know, is very odd to me. I agree with you. I think the last tweet I saw was something about, you know, what's your favorite type of cheese or something. Which, you know, is that a record? And has anyone tracked that? I mean, that does seem like a long time. I, for him. No, but Carter, Carter, he hasn't liked a tweet. He also just crossed 100 million Twitter followers. So now he's one of the five largest accounts behind like Katy Perry and Barack Obama. But I'm it's saying just, we can look that up, right? We can figure out, is this the longest run ever for this guy never to have tweeted? I think close. it is. And just so you guys remember, a few years ago after the, the funding secured thing, you remember the SEC secured mm -hmm. some sort of agreement with his board that he couldn't tweet or they had to review his tweets. So I got to tell you, I think something's going on there. I don't mean to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but this goes back to, Guy, what you were saying. The day that they reported that last quarter, I think Danny Moses called it on our podcast, and I think you agreed. This was the immaculate quarter. You said it. This is the quarter that you've been waiting for, for their margins and for just the kind of leverage in their system. But all of a sudden now, man, you know, Volkswagen CEO taking pot shots at the company, creating memes about competition. It really feels like the competition is here. And if that quarter was as good as it's get. Oh, and the one court, the one thing I didn't mention that supposedly in late May and in the interview came out just a, a couple days ago saying that the Austin and the Berlin gigafactories, okay, were money burning furnaces. All right. Mm -hmm. So again, it just, none of this sounds good. And then it disappears for eight days. So we will see. I love your diamond formation with a down arrow below an uptrend. It seems nasty to me. Carter Braxtonworth, thank you for filling in. Thanks for joining us today and all your great work. You guys can find Carter's work at worthcharting.com. He's got a great, great retail offering, and he obviously speaks to lots of institutions. So you're getting a lot of great thoughts from Carter. So check it out. Thanks, Carter. All right. Love you back. <laughs> I mean, I want to come up with a good rhyme. You know, nothing slick, just something, but I'll figure. I mean, I, no, I like what it says. Nothing that. slick, just charts. He's no, I know, but I'm going to come up with something cool. I love All cars. Right, and listen, and quickly about Tesla before we yeah. get into what, you know, yeah. the cruise lines and stuff. One has to wonder if Tesla were to, you know, come off significantly from here. You've said it hundreds of times. What does it mean for broader market sentiment? You've said it that this is sort of a litmus test for the broader market in some ways. And you know, yeah. if, if Tesla starts to give it up here, you have to wonder what happens across a wide range of names. Anyway, just well, not only that, just, just, you know, I mean, you know, he's trying to buy. 
Twitter supposedly for $43 billion. The company has a $30 billion enterprise value now. So it's much below the price in which he has agreed to buy it. And, you know, comps like Snap trading at a $22 billion enterprise value makes absolutely no sense. So, so you know, the lower Tesla goes, the less likely he's taking margin loans against his Tesla stock that he has the equity to buy that. We've already seen some of the people who are going to provide debt to help him with this purchase. First of all, why the hell does he want it? It's dumb. So my point is, broaden that out. If this Tesla or the Twitter deal blows up, think about this. This company, Zendesk, supposedly a couple months ago, guy, had a $17 billion takeover offer that they said no to. And the company just agreed to sell for like $11 billion. This is months later, okay? The market has changed. Yep. It's moved below people's feet in a way that I don't think you and I have seen since the financial crisis or so. So things are moving quickly. And I just think that there are knock-on effects when stuff like this happens. So keep an eye out because a blown up Twitter deal might have a lot of implications for other potential tech deal making and valuations. And, and you know, not that I'm looking to plug our other podcast, but you and Jeff Richards talk about things yeah. like this on OK Computer Correct. often in terms of private company valuations and yeah. how the things are getting marked down there that haven't been in quite some time. Anyway, there are a lot of really interesting things going on right now, and it's all worth watching. And I think it does have market ramification in terms of things we watch every day. Yeah, so let's just hit a couple of these things because we've been talking a little bit about well, a lot of bit about consumer behavior. We know that you know we saw consumer confidence at 16 month lows, and you and I are both of the belief that those go lower before mm -hmm. they start going higher. And some of the stuff in the stock market has been telling you the narrative was that there was a huge pull forward in demand for goods right during the pandemic, and now when the pandemic is over, and it's still not over when you think about the fact that China literally just ended restrictions in Shanghai for travel or, or broader China. China in general, and they did have lockdowns as recently as a couple of weeks ago. When you think about that move from goods to services and services is travel, look at what's going on here. Look at this carnival today, guys, it's down 15%, got downgraded, okay, yeah. by Morgan Stanley. They're saying they see a zero stock, a zero equity price for this thing. Talk to me a little bit this from a psychology standpoint, what this means for the broader market, because you would have thought two and a quarter years after the pandemic started and these companies were forced shut down that these stocks would be rebounding. Their businesses yeah. would be rebounding. Worst case scenario, I know it says that it's worth pointing out. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting in that you would have thought these companies would have figured how to operate better, gotten their, I mean, get, you know, gotten their stuff in order. I don't want to say their ship in order because that's, you know, no pun intended, but that's true. And it's clear that, you know, two years after the fact that there's still challenges here. Now, what I've said all along is, you know, it doesn't mean the cruise industry is going away and the same way it didn't mean the airline industry was going to go away if you let some of the carriers fail. But, you know, these were challenged businesses going in and they didn't rise to the occasion when they probably had an opportunity to figure things out. So what does it mean for the consumer? I don't necessarily think this is an it's not a narrative about the consumer yet. But again, you know, when consumer confidence continues to fray. If the market were to take another leg lower, I will tell you, and I think you would agree with this, consumer spending, which is almost 73% of this economy, will stop on a dime and then it becomes sort of this spiral. So yeah. just sort of keep that in, you know, I think it's important to point these things out. Yeah, a couple of things. I'll just rip through these a little bit. Yesterday, Guy, we talked about the casino stocks mm -hmm. because, you know, China opening up some of those travel restrictions. Win, LVS, they caught a bid here. But look at this wind chart. It's a bit of a train wreck. This well, is that's a 10-year yeah, no, no, quickly I, caught a bid, but yeah. you, I mean, we're talking about levels. We, this is like pandemic low stuff. It's again yeah. amazing 
how poorly these have traded. You Again, going back to your round trip. Well, here we are. Round trip, Dan. Anyway, yeah. please continue. Yeah, no. And then, you know, airlines, again, this is the services. And you've talked about this a lot. Demand destruction. You know, pricing went up dramatically. And, and people are might find themselves traveling less because of that. And we know that these guys have had staffing issues. We know the input costs as it relates to oil, right? So there's wage. There's a commodity cost. But look at this United. I mean, it really feels like it wants to retest. A lot of the We could have thrown the Jets ETF chart up there. Want to retest those pandemic lows. Well, Disney. We spent some time talking about that last night on Fast Money. And you know what? To be very frank, and you and I, are, I think, are in agreement here. We talked about it last night. If this thing has an eight handle on I start dollar cost averaging yeah. in this thing on the way down to that pandemic low of 80. But it's just really important to kind of point out the fact that service companies are not doing particularly well. So the reopening trade is kind of over. Not kind of over, is over in terms of the stocks. And again, if you think about how eye-opening that is, two and a half years almost two and a half years later yeah really makes you wonder and, and you know what's on the other side of this i think many people a year ago would have said we'd be so far through this and names that you just mentioned would not be approaching all-time highs but would be trading rather well but here we are all of them approaching levels we saw almost two and a half years ago it's troubling the only thing again to bring it back that's yeah. held in there until recently has been the broader market. So you wonder, again, to tie a bow on this, how long before the S&P does the round trip that you've been talking about now for months? Yeah, you know, and listen, I just want to mention this because he's a friend of mine, and I know you've watched his work for a long time. Doug Cass, he writes a great newsletter on Real Money. He just emailed us. He, he's listening, so thanks, Doug, for tuning in here. But, you know, he, this comment that he put out on Real Money today, I think it's an important one. And really, I always, listen, you and I sounded off about this or that or whatever. It's really important to kind of hear the other end of things. But his report this morning saying the level of untapped homeowners equity and embedded unrealized gains will be a ballast to the economic growth. And that could be the case. It just, again, it happens. Is unemployment going to tick up? Our real estate value is going to go lower. Our rate's going to stay higher. I mean, there's a lot of things. Yeah. And, and Doug's been following the U.S. consumer for a long time and he's been following financial institutions. I think he's going to like this next bit, though. Guy, this is Nostradami 101 right here. You've been warning up, warming up to the Goldman Sachs here, okay? Bank of America upgrades Goldman Sachs, says it will strive during the coming economic storm. And you've been saying this, and you worked there back in the day. Yeah. They will trade their way out of a paper bag here right and, and do that talk to me a little bit because you also love when a bank upgrades another bank or downgrades for them yeah i think it's pretty cool and doug thanks for watching what i'll say is this you know when goldman traded down right around book value last week i think 284 or so and we said what i said was exactly this i don't know if the market will reward them for this but yeah. they will absolutely trade their way out in terms of this quarter the fic numbers are going to be fantastic i still believe that by the way and I think what's going to wind up happening here with Goldman Sachs, which we have the chart up now, I think it'll continue to do this rally in a downtrend that we've been in for the last six or seven months until they release earnings. And historically, you know, Goldman will report and the knee jerk is typically lower. So you see the moving averages sloping lower. You see we're in a downtrend. I just think we're going to bounce into that downtrend into earnings. So what's my point? I think you can still own the stock. I think you trade it from the long side into earnings, and I think you pull the ripcord before they report. And quickly, in terms of Doug's comments about ballast, I agree with that. But, you know, people squirrel up when they feel really squirrely about things. In other words, if the market were to sell off precipitously 
and you start yeah. getting all these negative headlines, that ballast might be there, but people might not put it to work. So it's just sort yeah. of the, the counter of that point that he made. Anyway, back to you. All right, throw up that Goldman chart for a second, though, because, again, this is one demerit for our friend Stephen that we talked about yesterday. He demerited? This was supposed, demerited. This was supposed to be a five-year chart. And if you go back and look at the 2018 highs from early that year, those were the then all-time highs. That line, that horizontal line that goes I back drew, to that it. he did not – it goes back. It goes yeah. back to it. And I sent that to you in a break on Fast Money the other night. You remember that guy? We were just sitting across the thing, and I sent that. But Stephen, you know, listen, uh, you know, maybe he'll step up at some point very soon. But guy, I wanted to hit you on the BKX though, really quickly, the KBW Bank Index, because this thing, you know, we didn't throw up the XLF here because we know that you know Berkshire is a large, the largest component, and it's kind of a funky sort of index. But this one is just banks. It's money center banks, investment banks, regional banks, and look at this downtrend here. Yeah. You know, it really feels like. And if you back this thing out just a little longer here, going back to the 2018 highs that Steven should have added in that Goldman Sachs chart that he didn't, that we're going to have to have a talk with him about, you see that we've just broken some really key support here. And, you know, I've been making this point on Fast Money. And again, you know, Doug Cass has forgotten more about bank stocks than I'll ever know. So, you know, fact, fact, fact. But the underperformance relative to the S&P 500 has been saying something to me all year about the bank so i'm just curious not, you know at least for the last the three or four months you're spot on with that and you've brought that up the fact that jp morgan has had a pretty precipitous drop over the last you know three and a half four months maybe even longer now that we're in the middle of june so good for you but if we could toggle back somebody just hit bingo by the way so please toggle back to that last <laughs> chart this one right here speaks to pretty much looks like goldman sachs so i think you can see this sort of counter trend rally in these names and the earnings but you know we're still in this downtrend and for you playing our home game, those crossing moving averages represent what we call in the business a bit of a death cross. So nothing's been fixed here, but I think there is an opportunity long side in the bank earnings probably over the next, what, two and a half or so weeks, Dan. Yeah, you just brought up death. We don't want to be too more. No, 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 no. But, but, no, but no. look at this. Look at this. I, I just wanted to bring this up because it's kind of financial alternative lending. Look at Upstart. Look at Affirm. Look at Carvana today. I mean, these stocks are absolutely getting slayed. They're actually all down a little bit more on the day now since we kind of threw this chart up. There's something. There's a bomb that feels like it's going to go off in that space. And I know Danny Moses, who's our partner on On the Tape podcast. You know, he's been talking about these names for over a year. Okay. Since last summer you beat me to yeah. the punch what i was gonna say was i wish there was a podcast where somebody would have warned about this let's yeah. say last summer and you would have been said well it's funny you should say that guy because our co-host on on the tape danny moses has been that person and i would have said that's an excellent point by you back to you dan yeah no and 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 i guess the point is that really these stocks act like there is just some tape bomb that's about to go yeah. off in the space and we've seen that um danny and i were talking yesterday he was saying at, at one point some of the data that they have on buy now, pay later, that like 40 some percent of people were missing one of the first couple payments on these sorts of things. So, you know, might there be a subprime lending issue out there? It might not nearly be the size of what was the kind of lead up into the financial crisis, but I think like identifying certain pockets of this sort of consumer risk is really important. And, and then, yeah. Oh, sorry, I was just gonna, I know we're gonna get out of here. I was just gonna say, you know, you watch market call for a myriad of different reasons, hopefully because you might learn something, you get some, tri whatever it is. I, you know, I find it entertaining. But the other day on market call, we said that, listen, we talked about Coinbase and Robinhood. And didn't we say, you know, Robinhood could probably have one of these 30, 40% yeah. moves up to 11. 
and it's still on a downtrend. Where did Robinhood get to the other day off that somewhat apparently fugazi news about a potential takeover, Dan? Nathan? Yeah, FTX. I mean, that morning you did say, I think we could see a rally to, I don't know, nine or 10, and it almost got there on some, uh, basically it was a rumor that FTX may be looking to buy him. FTX did. Anyway, I, you know, that's yeah. me. He, he, came, out, he came out and said, he, he had taken a personal stake that there were no active talks, but there might be in the future. Stock kind of came all the way back here. Last thing, Guy, I want to get your take on this one. And this is a company that I'm actually warming up to, especially down here. Shopify. I yeah. think this is interesting yesterday it was a 340 dollars stock today it's a 34 dollars stock six or seven months ago it was a 1760 dollars mm-hmm. so it split five for one not really the stock came in okay from 1760 all the way down to where it was trading yesterday about 334 but then overnight it split 10 for one here and listen you know this thing is holding on for dear life at those kind of early you know the pandemic lows if you will just thoughts on splits natural Spit splits and then just real stock splits because again, all of a sudden, a lot of retail who couldn't buy more than let's say a one share when it was trading at 1700, maybe they bought 10 shares right when it's trading at 34. Now they can buy a lot more shares at 33. I think at its peak, and you know this better than I do, but I think at one point this was trading 60 times or so revenue. Is that right? At at its zenith, and you would point that out, and even as it started to come down you know, cut in half and then sold off again. You said, you know, the stock is still expensive. I think it's gotten to levels where, and the aforementioned Jeff Richards would say, it's probably getting interesting. My sense is Rick Heitzman would agree with that as well. You have Rick on on the tape and OK Computer many times. So I think it's worth playing for a bounce here. This is a tradable level without question. And quickly in terms of splits, I was always one to sort of just poo-poo it and not make a big deal out of it for the obvious reasons. But clearly... There are other factors at work when stocks split that are positive for the name. So as much as I'd like to discount it, there's anecdotal evidence that suggests that it actually does work, at least in the short term, for bounces. All right. Well, there was nothing short about this market call. We had a lot to say, didn't we, Guy? We went Mm -hmm. to, what, 30 minutes That's what we do on on a Thursday. Yeah, well, 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 not a Thursday. It's a Wednesday, You know what? But but let me tell you, when I do things like that, there's like a nanosecond when people say, holy shit, it's Thursday. And then it's like, oh, shit, it's only Wednesday. And I, do I also that feel like, what, what, do you, what do they call those afternoon games up in the Bronx? Would you say a businessman special? I said a businessman special. special. Now, that's, I feel you know, like, that, that's a very 1950s term. That's why I, I prefer. Well, you are a very 1950s yeah. sort of guy. Well, I used and, to go to the think, games with my boys back in the 50s. I, I think some of our listeners and viewers know that you and I were both at a Yankee game a couple weeks ago. And I stand up. I'm wearing a black T-shirt and jeans. And I look up at you. And you're wearing, you know, a sport jacket and all tucked in and everything like that. You looked like you were, you just needed the little hat. Like yeah, the way they there used was to wear a time, in way, you know, a bygone era where people would actually dress up to go to ball games. I'm still one of those people that wears a jacket, not necessarily a tie, but a nice shirt, slacks yeah. in my shoes. I don't look, you know, oh, like yeah. I'm going to an Aerosmith concert, in your case, a Metallica <laughs> concert. But that's fine. That's what makes markets, as they say. We should post right. that picture. I don't know if Amanda can do it on the fly. Probably not. But we'll put hopefully, it up on Risk Reversal Media or tweet it. Hopefully, or hopefully she will. All right, my main man. That was uh, You are a throwback. There's no doubt about it. This was fun. It was fun. And you know what? We went 10 minutes extra today. But that's because we had Doug Cass. And we had CBW. And we chatted about a lot of things. Maybe a little political at times. Not meant to be. But that's it. Want to thank our sponsor, Set Financial Data and Analytics Powered by tomorrow we're powered by open exchange thanks obviously carter braxton worth of worth charting tomorrow we'll be back with ey from sofi and by the way 
If you liked, didn't like, enjoyed, found it interesting, helpful, whatever, send us a note, email, like us, watch, follow us, all those things, right, Dan? What did I miss? Is there any other social media cue that you can give? If there is, just do it. At me on Twitter. I mean, you see my Twitter feed. There's some real trolls out there. Don't be a troll. Be a good person. Dan, back to you. All right, bud. Well, that was fun. We'll see you tomorrow. Liz Young from SoFi will be joining. And, guy, you, you forgot to mention Butters. We got Butters. Oh, we shit. Got, we got Sorry. Yeah. Butters. I mean, got, my God. What was we I We got thinking? Earnings Insight with John Butters. And Amanda told me that John Butters is going to be live with us on the July 14th Stop edition it. of Market Call. We are going to do a Q2 earnings preview with Butters. So that will be exciting. So, all right, guy. I think that's it. I think we got nothing left to say. All right? Good that's yeah. See ya, bud.